this week on Frederick Uncut, we're going to do it a little bit differently. So we've got a big redesign of our 72 hours section coming up. And so we're going to preview that and really dig into the redesign and some of the stories that are going to be featured in it. And then we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in the news today. So I'd like to welcome Kate, Mallory, and Caitlin into the studio. Hey. Hi. Hello. <laughs> and they're going to be telling us a little bit about what happened with the 72 hours redesign, um, how it became, um, and what's in it this week. So Kate, do you want to start us off since you are a little familiar with the podcast? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yes, I'm the I'm our features reporter um, and have been for more than a year now. And so I think the idea for a redesign of the publication came about when I was just starting. Um, you know, it's been an institution uh, in the Thursday paper for a really long time. But I think we wanted to have a fresher look that was more modern and contemporary because the world is just, you know, flush now with great design um, and great features. So we wanted to be able to compete. And then we also wanted to kind of streamline the sound actions. Uh, right now, if you look inside 72, there's a very, you know, lovely assortment of stories, but each one doesn't necessarily have its own section. And we wanted to make it so that we're covering all facets of culture in Frederick County. And it's very readable and digestible and people can get used to that format. Awesome. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what is new with this new 72 hours redesign? You know, I... I, I think that Mallory is probably, you know, best to answer that question, but I can shut up. I mean, one thing I know for sure is that there are two sections. Um, I mean, we're breaking it into sections and Mallory can explain more about that. But then I know that there's two sections that have been <laughs> in 72 for a while, our WTF section, which is like quirky news, or it, it's, it's Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, um, <laughs> which is our quirky news, like AP oddity section, and then astrology. And we are getting rid of those in favor of more local original content and I'll let Mallory take it from there um yes uh Kate is correct um I'm the features editor for 72 I've been the editor for about two months um but I've been working on it since I got into the job so um and yeah we are getting rid of those two um sections well those just two pages I guess um because they are just they're not local they're from the AP wire and one's a guy who's syndicated so um for anyone who you know misses those sorry but we have other <laughs> things to um be um that will replace them um i know that we're going to be like separating everything into sections like she said um we're going to have the spotlight story obviously which is like our main cover story and that's you know the really in-depth feature that she does each week on i mean they're different each week and um she can talk to you a little bit more about what it will be this week. Um, and then we're going to have a voices section with two new columnists. Um, one is our business and breaking news reporter, CJ uh, Fairfield. And another is um, Ben Singleton. He is on our desk right now. So um, he's going to be writing a column about books. And CJ is writing kind of a lifestyle column. And then we're also going to be having um, Michael Hunley, our film critic, well, film columnist. He's also going to be still writing and then we're going to have the brutist uh, Kevin Smith who's going to be writing about beer and other alcohol related things <laughs> um <laughs> and then we're also going to have once a month which will be also will be in this issue is a fashion page uh Whitney Whiten she's local and she's going to be writing some things about fashion um tips and she's a stylist and so that should be interesting we haven't had fashion for a while I don't think in 72 yeah really. um yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we're gonna have an arts and entertainment section like normal and that's where like the art calendar will go um Karen Peacock's column is going to be moving into that and um just arts related um any film related stories are going to go in there 
And then we're gonna have a music section. We're bringing back a music section, like a dedicated music section. Um, Declan Polar is going to be writing um, music. Um, he has a blog right now in Frederick, and um, he's gonna be writing like music content for us. And then we'll still have our food and drink section, which will be our reviews of the food, which we are changing the name of Taste Buds to In Review. Um, <laughs> We're going to streamline, streamline it, keep it single, <laughs> yes, keep it keep simple, his, keep yeah. it classy. <laughs> yeah. And any other food or drink-related stories are going to go in there. Um, I believe we're going to put our Uncapped page in there as well. If anybody reads the Uncapped page, listens to Uncapped podcast, um, there will be a page for that in there. We're working on every week. We'll see how that goes. Um, and then we're going to have something new we're going to have this um, uh, that's starting with the redesign is an advice column that Kate and Alan are going to be answering people's questions um, in a Dear Abby setting, like just advice, like, you know, questions about life, basically. Um, we are still waiting to get some of those questions. And so if anyone has one, <laughs> um, we'll, we'll be taking them all the time because, I mean, there's always going to be advice columns. And so just email Kate at kmasters at newspost.com yes if you liked astrology you'll love the, the yes. advice column <laughs> absolutely um yeah and that's that's a lot of the content um i know that caitlin has worked a lot on the design and it looks really good so she can probably talk a little bit about like what it's going to look like and what's going to be different about it like on a level that people can understand i know she's got a lot of technical like you know <laughs> design stuff but well, as far as the actual design goes, I've been working on the 72 cover for about two and a half to three years now. Um, J.R. Williams is the guy that does the inside layout most of the time. Um, so it's kind of been tandem between me and him. But I was asked to do the redesign, and something I really wanted to focus on was... Um, Again, like Kate said, streamlining everything and making it easier for our readers to digest, um, but also to give each story like its own space. Because right now, sometimes things get crammed in there and we don't have a lot of photos, even if we, you know, have a lot of content. And I really wanted each story to kind of be like a picture in a frame. It's like every story is showcased and um, really highlight the art that we get and the photos and do more call outs and, you know, just really focus on each individual story. Um, something I did for uh, like design wise was, was really focusing on giving things more air and making sure that jumps are running with the story because sometimes, you know, the jump for a story will be 10 pages past where it originally started, um, which is a little weird for the readers. Um, and we just wanted to keep things together um, in their sections and with the original story. Um, also, I kind of stripped everything down and made the fonts really, um, really clean and really bold. And like you'll notice when you see like the section headers, they're all different um, based on category, but also like the for the um, the text of the redesign, it's all black and white. And I did that because I really wanted to call out the uh, colors that we're going to have in the photos and in potential illustrations. So it's really about um, the stories. That's really mm -hmm. what we're focusing on here. Mm -hmm. All right. And for those who 
see our newspaper but don't quite realize it caitlin is one of the most amazing graphic design artists that i've ever seen um she does some amazing illustrations so can you tell us a little bit about the cover 72 and how you make that look so great thank you um (laughs) well it really depends uh week to week um as everybody knows sometimes we get really amazing photos from you know our photographers here at the project news post or sometimes we get really great submitted art Uh, But unfortunately, some stories just really don't have art that can clearly show what the story's about. Um, So usually Kate and Mallory, um, or if there's another reporter working on it, will talk to me and we just kind of brainstorm ideas for an illustration or some kind of graphic. And I mean, every single story is different, so it's hard to really go through that process. But um, it's really just a lot of brainstorming and then trial and error and crossing your fingers and hoping that it works. <laughs> and is there anything special about the cover for the redesign? Um, well, I know what the the first story is going to be, um, and that's kind of in process right now. But I don't think, I don't think the cover is really going to change that much as we move forward. It's really going to be um, the inside that's going to get punched up a lot. Um, I'm hoping to do you know, more creative things with the cover, but, you know, that's something we're just going to have to wait and see. All right, perfect. And well, since you mentioned the cover, which is now going to be part of a series, Kate, can you tell us a little bit about what the story is that's going to be on the cover? Yeah, um, so for our inaugural issue, um, we decided to, Mallory and I talked, um, and we decided to focus on a story that has kind of been brewing in Frederick for a while, um, and, and it focuses broadly on the local art scene and kind of how it intersects um on the municipal level with different regulations in Frederick and different actions by the city. Um, You know, Frederick is a town that has a really, really long history, I mean, which is something that the town has really worked to reinforce. But we're getting to the point where if you look at, if you look at numbers and you look at figures from the Office of Economic Development and the city, we're really cultivating this unique art scene and we're seeing a growth in millennials who don't necessarily feel that same connection to the city's historic past um, and sort of like very small infrastructure that dates back to the Civil War and are looking to expand arts opportunities. And so the story kind of explores that tension, like this growing class of artists who really want to see the city grow more dynamic, um, you know, and creative and have like that real vibrancy that you get from an arts town. And then whether or not the city is kind of ready to accommodate that um, through its different or or through its different zoning, Um, liquor, liquor, local liquor laws play a big role. I mean, that was one of the most interesting things that I got to report on. Um, Some of the laws that are currently in the books in Frederick County or on the books in Frederick County and what they do and do not allow. So I think it's a broad story, which is a, a challenge uh, for me as a writer, but I think it's an important one and that a lot of the voices and stories are guys that, and girl, well, I mean, guys in the general sense who, you know, have been active in Frederick for a really long time, but don't necessarily have the visibility um, that they would like. And now you've lived in Frederick for a couple years. Um, you know, was there anything that you learned reporting on the story that kind of surprised you about the art scene? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's just the sort of the number of artists like hiding away, you know, who are producing content and then, you know, work a day job, but have their work in galleries, but don't necessarily have that wide scale recognition. Um, I think that if you go to downtown Frederick, the city really 
build up its art scene and promotes itself as an art town. But in terms of the art that's really accessible and available, I think there's a sense that um, it it's not always as visible, right? Like, so you don't have major art installations that draw tons of crowds. Um, another big issue is affordability. And so for me, the most interesting thing was kind of the issues um, that that local artists are kind of grappling with um, because at least like in ter- organization-wide and city-wide right now, there's a trend, there's a big focus on public art. Um, but then there are lots of younger artists who they don't even particularly care about public art. What they're really interested in is cost of living and co-work um, life spaces and, you know, being able to afford a studio in downtown Frederick or rent in downtown Frederick, um, you know, without having to take up three jobs to pay for it. And so I think there's kind of that dynamic. Um, so that's one part of the story. And then also how, you know, local laws can make things um, difficult as well. Uh, a, a large section of the story will focus on music and how Frederick is this really compact downtown. Um, it's the arts and entertainment district, so there's a lot of people who want arts and entertainment in downtown Frederick, but then at the same time, it's a city with very mixed zoning, so you'll have these you know, these commercial streets where bars and restaurants um, that are trying to be music venues will operate like literally right in front of residential neighborhoods, which creates tension with the people living in downtown Frederick and sort of all sorts of problems, um, you know, for code enforcement and police and elected officials and the people living in downtown Frederick. So now you've been working on a lot of stories leading up to this, looking at affordability for artists or DIY um, music spaces. So is this kind of a capstone of some of the reporting that you've worked on to talk about Frederick as an art city? Yeah, it's kind of started to feel that way. Like I didn't, you know, it just, I mean, it's kind of lucky because some of the reporting it's like I've had, you know, so I'm going back into old transcripts and looking at other reporting that I've done. But I think that if you're like really closely tracking the art scene, it's pretty clear that these are issues that have been, you know, sort of fermenting for a while. Like um, a couple months ago, I wrote about the creation of a new group called um, the Frederick Creative of Frederick Coalition, um, you know, that formed basically because of dissatisfaction with the lock, lack of opportunities in downtown Frederick. But I, and I, you know, there's been lots of discussion about art in Frederick since basically 1976, which is when the flood, you know, destroyed a lot of downtown. And that was when, um, you know, arts as a mechanism for revitalization really started to enter the, the public forum. So you have decades and decades of this building up. But I think that, you know, we've kind of reached a period where people are beginning to organize because there is this critical mass of artists in the city um, and in the county who are who are looking for more opportunities. And just a little bit about uh, I guess this is a question for Mallory and Kate, you know, why make this story the story of the face of the redesign? Um, I mean, I know I definitely wanted it for the redesign because it's it kind of encompasses everything that's artistic about Frederick and everything that's like kind of entertainment about Frederick and so it's like it it's everything all together um I think that's good for the redesign because it's like well a lot of people can relate to it a lot of people will read it and it's there it's very very intricately reported and um and she's been working on it a really really long time and so it's definitely something that I thought would be good for something like a big issue like the redesign issue because it's going to be long like a longer story but it's going to have a lot of compelling details in it and everything so 
um, that's why I wanted it for the redesign. And so I think Kate probably thinks along those same lines. <laughs> so Yeah, like, I mean, you know, we've all sort of touched about or touched upon the fact that um, 72, you know, we've really worked to make it more of a magazine type feel. It has a diverse range of stories, which I think is part of the appeal. But in, in its essence, 72 is Frederick's arts and culture publication. We don't have an arts and culture section, you know, in the Sunday paper like the Washington Post do, like, or does. We're sort of that venue. And so I I think for the redesign, it's really important, you know, to bring the question to the forefront of is Frederick an arts town? And if it's not, what can we do to fix that? Mm-hmm. All right. And Caitlin, you're, you're hearing all this and you're working on the design. So when you Kate came to you with this idea, what was your thoughts on how to make her story visual for people? Well, I've done a few um, illustrations that cater to this um this topic, we've done a few leading up to this story, um, but something that um, really inspired me was something that Mallory said, where it's like, you know, you see the black and white of what Frederick looks like, but then where does all the inspiration and like the life come from? It comes from the artists and the musicians. Um, you know, when I think of Frederick, that's kind of what I think of. I think of downtown, and I think of all the interesting people that are there that are trying to do something, you know, unique. Um, so I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, it's really that juxtaposition of, you know, what what do you see versus what do you really want to see of, of Frederick County and, you know, downtown Frederick. Yeah. Right, perfect. And so I don't want to give too much away, so we'll move a little bit off of the cover, but anything else that people should really pay attention to, whether it's a column or another story Kate worked on? Um, I'm, I mean, she could talk a little bit about, like, her food review and what I love this week. That's what, um, the other things that she did. I know that CJ wrote a story about um, a couple here in Frederick who were looking for a house in Ocean City, and they were on an HGTV um, special. And they actually didn't pick a house, which is kind of an interesting twist. So, <laughs> um, and the the, the um, episode has already aired. That's how we know that. <laughs> so some people may have already seen it. But um, she's going to write a story about that and kind of, like, talk to the couple and see, like, you know, kind of what happened with that. So that'll be interesting. Um, and I know there are people here that go to Ocean City, so it'll be like, oh, you know, they'll recognize things. I, I used to live in Ocean City, so I'll definitely recognize that. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, like, Kate can talk a little bit about um, what she has going on in her other stories. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, blessedly, I have an editor who's allowed me to focus a lot on this piece, which is kind of a, a chunker. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But, you know, like, I, I think that, you know, the, the food review, um, whatever it's called, has been something new that's been... Um, you know, in 72 for the past year, we're, like people might have recognized that we're actually taking a critical look at restaurants, which some people like and some people don't like, but, you know, it's continuing on. So this week I am um, reviewing a Salvadoran place on the Golden Mile. Uh, and the what I love is kind of um, at least thematically sort of similar to the cover story um, in that it focuses on Frederick Jams and a concert that they're launching for a band called Wonder, um, which is actually some of their band members are quoted in my story. Um, you know, and, and, and they, New Spires, the concert is going to be held at New Spire Stages, which is a new venue that recently opened downtown in part to like kind of try to fill the void um, of a music venue that we have right now and so that's I mean I just wanted to write about it because I think that it's a series that really deserves support you know like part of the issue is that 
local musicians could have a venue, but they still need people to come out and support their work. Um, but then, like, I would just really want to say that if people concentrate on one thing, I think it should be the design, like, of the redesign, which is the main thing. I mean, Caitlin, I've seen the galleys. Caitlin has done, like, such an amazing job. I think it's going to look a lot better. I think it's going to look a lot streamlined, and I'm just really excited that we're finally doing this. All right. And I just have to go back to the advice column a little bit because we did talk about in our last episode that you're you're looking for advice. But where did the idea to have an advice column come from? Um, I think it was just something that, like, um, you know, was brainstormed, um, you know, between our executive editor, Chris Kinsler, and our former features editor. And um, we just thought it would be kind of a neat idea. Mm -hmm. You know, like one, I think that one central thing, like we want people to think of 72 as a magazine. And if you think about magazines, they always have like a regular back of book feature. And we've never had an advice column. And we thought it would be, you know, unique to have one that's two people instead of one. So you're getting two different perspectives. Um, So we just wanted to run with it. All right. And so I know that you're having a little bit of issue getting some people to send in questions. So (laughs) Let's tell our listeners why they should send questions to you and what makes you qualified to give them advice. Well, I mean, what makes anyone qualified to give advice? I'm just like a very opinionated person. So (laughs) I'm very honest as well. I think, yeah, I think that I'm pretty honest. um, And I think, you know, I think that Alan and I, like we have different perspectives, which Alan kind of touched on last week because we both have very different backgrounds. But I think that one thing that is similar about Alan and I is that we will tell it like it is. And so I think that many people grapple with getting advice from people who are maybe trying to sugarcoat things and we won't sugarcoat things. So, Well, as someone who's gotten advice from Kate quite often this year, I I can't wait for her to be giving it out to some other people. (laughs) 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 Perfect. Well, is there anything else you think our listeners should know about the redesign besides that they should definitely pick it up on Thursday when it comes out? Um, I mean, we're also redesigning the website, so the website should look different (laughs) whenever it comes out. So that's just the other piece of it. Um, And it should it'll go along with like the same kind of sections and everything we're doing in the print version. And so the website should look you know, more modern and everything as well. And we're in the process of putting the publication into like different areas as yes. well. Like you can get it, you can get it in newsstands, you know, the, the news post kiosks. Um, I know that they have copies for free at Tally Rec Center um, in downtown Frederick. But, you know, since this is a publication with a clear voice, we want to get in, get it into coffee shops and bars, mm-hmm. et cetera. And we're in the process of doing that. I just went to Baltimore Coffee and Tea and I saw 72 hours in this oh. newsstand. Excellent. <laughs> Perfect. Well, can you tell us a little bit more about the website? Is it part of projectnewspost.com or is it completely it, new? It's the same thing it is now. Um, it's basically it'll there will be a link on the homepage and then it'll go to the 72 like online website and then there will also be a um, an address like a URL for 72 itself which will be the same website um, and we're working on just basically making it look a little more modern a little more just a little better and have like be able to like basically navigate it better right now it's kind of like all over the place a little bit and so this will be this will help like to look and see okay these stories are here these stories are here like and just very like strict like this is where you can find everything this is where you can read everything it's not going to be hidden in the calendar section no it it shouldn't be in the calendar (laughs) section no (laughs) so yeah hopefully we'll be able to get more more traffic to the website so more people can read the stories because they're important just like the regular paper so <laughs> perfect well again 72 hours the new redesign will come out this thursday and then you can check it out online as well yeah. so thank you guys for coming in today thanks yeah, heather thank you <laughs> 
So like I mentioned, we're doing things a little bit differently this week. Uh, so instead of doing a recap of 72 hours with Kate as we usually do, we're instead going to do a recap of the news with our editor, Alan Etzler. So welcome, Alan. Thanks for having me. And uh, we're all really excited about that 72 redesign. So the uh, the podcast is definitely definitely worthy this week for sure. Excellent. Yeah, it was very interesting listening to everyone talk about all the different components that went into that redesign. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what the news team did this week. Yeah, so this was a this was a really busy week for us. Um, and I think the, the kind of big story of the week, uh, the biggest story of the week for us in terms of how we presented stories um, was the, the one-year anniversary of the flood on May 15th, 2018. Uh, we did a big look back at, at what happened, what went wrong, but also how people are still kind of dealing with the damage of the flood, uh, whether that be... Um, kind of physical damage, what it caused to, to buildings and infrastructure and things like that, but also emotional and mental damage and how uh, there was some really powerful stuff in there. The story was written, the main story was written by Samantha Hogan and, and Jeremy Arias. And there was some really powerful stuff in there about how uh, one of the families, um, every time it rains, they get up and look outside at the alley that, that originally flooded just to make sure that it's not flooding again. And to have that kind of psychological impact on you, uh, shows you what what these things really really do. What what these natural disasters can can do to your psyche. Uh, and we also had some sidebar stories. One of which was written uh, in part by you and and Steve Bonell. In uh, how um, kind of two of our smaller towns, Brunswick and Burkittsville, are dealing with that damage that that's uh, that occurred. Um, and then Steve wrote another sidebar. Uh, that looked at the Little League field, Anger, Engelberger Field, uh, in Baker Park in downtown Frederick, and how they still haven't recovered. That places, uh, it was funny looking. We we did a lot of before and after photos, and <laughs> you look at the after photos of that field, and it still kind of looks like it just flooded. <laughs> it just flooded there, which is is weird. That that uh, field really um, holds a ton of water. But but that story was was a a, a big deal and. Uh, it wasn't even the lead story in our paper that day. Um, we, it seems like as the weather's changed, we've had more and more kind of sad, tragic crimes happening, and one of those is, was a murder, um, in which it's uh, the man is being accused and has admitted to killing another person um, and essentially beating him to death with with blunt objects, which is uh, horrific, but that's part of part of the gig. Um, and then some of the other stuff that through the week that that I I found particularly interesting. Um, one of them is at the beginning of the week we had our county agencies announce a partnership, um, our sheriff's office and our our Frederick Police Department and Maryland State Police, along with FBI and Homeland Security, uh, to better coordinate with um, each other to uh, counter and uh, bring people to justice that are. Um, committing internet crimes against children so so using the internet to find children and abuse them in some way um and you know it's still a little unclear what that what exactly that partnership is going to look like but anytime that they're going to get on the same page and, and really attack something like that is is certainly worth noting and uh kind of as a tangentially related follow-up uh fpd for the first time ever uh launched a kind of sting-like operation um uh wednesday thursday friday uh where they found people who were planning attempting to uh meet up with young children and and commit uh sexual abuse acts 
and um, they they've brought a couple people down, and and it's been pretty pretty gross what these people were were planning to do, and so uh, yeah, that's those that story uh, to me, both of those were particularly interesting. Um, we had a uh, kind of my favorite story of the week, I guess, just in terms of human interest. There, there were two, two hood college students who have launched a business, um, trying to get it off the ground in which they provide, um, feminine products, tampons, pads, things like that for, for low income, uh, women, people who live on the margins, uh, which I think is super interesting. And they do it, uh, they, they do the business by uh, the business plan is, is to put st- uh, stocked boxes um, in public places so that, you know, if you're walking downtown or, and you see one of these boxes and you, you need a feminine product, you can just grab it and, and go. And it's free, free of charge. Uh, they're funding it through kind of dom- donations um, uh, to start. And I, I think that's super interesting because we don't talk a lot about how women need access to these things. And if you're living on the margins, you know, if you're a male living on the margins, you have to decide maybe between food, gas in your car, maybe paying an electric bill or putting that off. But you really can't, as a woman, you, you have to decide between food or a tampon. And that's, that is a, a health risk in a lot of ways. And so I think it's important that we have this conversation. And I, I applaud what, what those women have done. And uh, I, was, I was personally fascinated by that story. Um, and then I want to throw to you real quick because you were working on, uh, or as of this recording, are working on uh, a really interesting story regarding the um, point-in-time homelessness survey, um, which Frederick Community Action Agency plays a big role in. We've got the results back, so I want to kind of throw to you so you can tell people what, what that has looked like, what those have been. So, yeah, talking about thro- uh, throwing something to me, um, I kind of jumped into social services a couple weeks ago, yeah. so this is one of my first big social services stories. Um and it looks like Frederick County is doing relatively well in terms of um, homelessness. We've seen, um, according to the last five years' results of the point in time survey, um, we've gone down, uh, I believe, by five um, percent. I think it was a lot. Of, I don't ch- uh, quote me on that. You can read the story to get the actual numbers. But we have definitely gone down. Um, which they we went down from last year too, which they talk about don't actually just look year to year because point in time is only on one day. So that's not always reflective. Some people just might not have been there. But when you have five years worth of data, you can start to see some trends. So overall, Frederick County is going down in terms of homelessness. Um, The region is going down in homelessness. But one thing that still um, stuck out to me is you looked at Montgomery County, um, Loudoun County, D.C., uh, I think Arlington and a couple other places like in the immediate area from D.C. to Frederick County and um, Northern Virginia. And Frederick County is still, I think, the top three in terms of the amount of people who are homeless. So even though we're going down, it's it's not like our work is done. Right. Um, it I do believe we're at the point where Frederick County officials are saying we've ended our problem with a veteran homelessness because um, I think we only had four veterans that were homeless, which to them is a, a success and has gone down. So that was a highlight that I'll be putting in the um, article. And just overall, I think some of the things that they're doing right now to um, address it, um, I'll be talking to the Community Action Center hopefully uh, later this afternoon um, to learn a little bit more about what is being done on the ground in Frederick. But um, overall, some of the tension and how the way we talk about homelessness um, instead of shelter models, 
it's a lot more about uh, rapid rehousing and getting into housing as soon as possible. So I know we are looking at possibly getting a fixed site shelter, hopefully in the next couple of years from the religious coalition. But um, one of the things that they talked about is like, while you need shelters, it's also that idea of getting people into housing as soon as possible. Right, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, and it's more than also just giving them a place to live. It's a lot of times giving them something to do, giving them resources if they have addiction, things like that, uh, which is all hugely important. So it's cool to see uh, some success, but obviously the work never stops. Uh, yeah. with an issue like that for and sure. one thing that really surprised me is that they talked about how many people um end up being homeless because of a medical event or a medical mm-hmm. cost and i've been doing a lot of reporting recently on healthcare costs so i'm not wholly surprised when i see that uh, medical costs can drive someone into homelessness but it is kind of sad to see um that if you have to deal with a cost because of your health that could be something where you lose your home for it right and um yeah exactly and i, I wanted to jump into two kind of other stories uh for kind of um, the beginning of, of this week. Uh, so this will be Monday and, and then uh, through the rest of the week. We're entering graduation season, which uh, is a busy time for us. We cover all of them. Um, but uh, Rock Creek kicked us off. Oh, really? Mount St. Mary's kicked us off last week. But this week we had Rock Creek graduation. Uh, Rock Creek is a really special school. Uh, and as an education reporter, I, I have a soft spot for that school because of the work that those people do. It's for it's for students who have severe disabilities, will never be able to really live on their own. Um, and so these people are basically their caretakers and, and get them through school so that they can move on to live a function, a somewhat functioning life. Uh, most of them won't ever leave the home or be on their own, but uh, that's okay. They, they've learned to do things uh, somewhat for themselves. Um, and and live a a higher quality life because of the school there, and I think that's really important. Uh, we also have Hood College graduation this year, uh, which is one of our our two four year schools. Uh, so that's always a big deal for us. Um, and then the other thing, this is a another story I was really excited about. I get excited about education stories, if you can't tell. Uh, this is a composting story that Samantha Hogan's doing that will be in our our Monday paper, um, and it it looks at the uh, challenges facing FCPS schools regarding the amount of waste that they have and how they go about diverting that waste from the landfill. And so um, a, what she found was about, at this particular elementary school, Sugarloaf Elementary School, um, about 50% of what students are throwing away is edible food, which is a lot. Uh through her reporting, she also found out about 80% of what goes to the landfill could go elsewhere, could be recycled, could be rinsed down a drain, could could be composting. Now, that's a, that's a lot of waste at 66 different schools. That's all going to add up a lot. The problem that they've been facing is um, composting isn't necessarily cost neutral at this moment. Uh, it's not at a big enough scale to, to justify the cost or, or to pay for itself. Um, and so the school system is grappling with that. But you've seen, I, I reported a little bit on composting in schools when I was the education reporter, and there wasn't necessarily this push from central office to fund it, to put money behind it, uh, to keep it going. Uh, and it looks like our school superintendent, Terry Albin, has had a change of heart in the last year or so. And she's committed to putting money into the budget for it. She's committed to funding it next year. Uh, and so it's, it's been interesting because most of that has come from uh, 
a her thinking about her grandchild, which so she's about to have a grandchild, um, and the future that she leaves behind for that grandchild, but also from students. And these students are saying, "Look, we can learn this. It's it's teachable to kids at a young age. We can show you know we can divert a lot of waste from the landfill and leave a better Earth for everyone if we're just if we just commit to it as a system." And so. Um, there's been a lot of progress made. There are still some challenges, but it, it's cool to see the school system committing to kind of figuring this out. And uh, we're going to continue to see where it goes from here. But uh, I'm really excited about that story. Uh, so, yeah, those were the those were the big things for me this week. All right. Well, clearly you can tell that the news team and the us features team are quite busy this week and yeah. always are very busy. Um, if you want to read any of the stories that Alan talked about, um, you can check out FrederickNewsPost.com or the print edition, which comes out every day. We sell subscriptions online. Yes, we do sell subscriptions. Um, subscriptions are good. <laughs> um, pay for your content. And then, of course, when you want to uh, listen to... Or if you want to listen to more about the flood, um, Samantha Hogan was in here last week, um, as well as some of the people who were affected. Um, we did a quick podcast on that. So plenty of things to listen to and plenty of things to read about this week. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thank you for coming in. Frederick and Cut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week.